for my rejoicing, my anamodana with all of you, practicing here at the monastery or at home. Some places uh, are very far from Thailand in terms of distance and time difference. It can be six or eight hours different, like in London. Could be uh, 2 a.m. now, but still those gathering to practice have their hearts set on the practice, their intent. Or some countries in Europe, five or six hours different, but still they set their hearts to study the Dhamma. So in the beginning, the fully self-awakened Buddha awakened to the Dhamma and saw that this Dhamma is very subtle. He was able to destroy the ignorance in his heart which is difficult to do because it's very subtle. But the Buddha was able to do that already and entered the bliss of liberation for 49 days. And he saw that it would be difficult for others to know and see following what he had known and seen. It would be difficult. So he set his heart on equanimity first. Didn't go seeking out to teach but it entered the bliss of liberation. And then it's the uh, spiritual virtues, or our spiritual virtues, the Brahma Sahampati, who's an old friend of the Lord Buddha. They had been friends in a past life. He came down and asked the Buddha to teach, saying that those are, there are those with little dust in their eyes in the world that were able to know and see and the Buddha was able to know this himself, but he set his mind to be still first, because this Dhamma, it's very subtle. And the, having awakened to the Dhamma already, just to go ahead and teach straight away is not the, the conditioning or the character of the Buddha. Because if the Buddha just went and taught straight away, people could criticize the Buddha saying, well, why does the Buddha want to teach like this? Why does he just come and want to teach us? Because there are a lot of heedless people in the world, and they would make a lot of demerit, a lot of bad karma, thinking like this. Teaching the Dhamma, then people would feel angry or upset. They wouldn't like to receive the teachings. They would say, why is he teaching us? I don't want to listen. It's just like with our own friends and family. If they do something wrong or something we don't like, we want to tell them to give them advice or suggestions, but they don't want to listen. They don't like to hear that advice. They say, well, why are you interfering with my affairs? It's my business, not yours. That means their heart isn't open to listening to our suggestions. So when we chant the invitation to give a Dhamma discourse, it means that we're opening up our hearts and minds, that our hearts and minds are ready to accept the Dhamma teachings. And this is something of great importance. So we can look at the group of five ascetics with Venerable Anya Kundanya, who became the first awakened disciple of the Buddha. His mind was open to listening to the Dhamma he had determined his parami already, and he was old, advanced in age already. 
He wanted to seek out, wanted to know the Dhamma. So on his first listening to the Dhamma, he realized stream entry, Sotapanna, the first stage of awakening. But the other four ascetics, their minds were not open, so they did not see the Dhamma. But Venerable Anya Kandanya, his mind was open, so he realized stream entry. Then he told his four companions, his old friends, four friends suggested that they open their minds as well. And they're able to gradually open their minds and each of them realize stream entry in due course. And later during the teaching of the Anatalakana Sutta or the discourse on the characteristic of not self, all five of that group of five ascetics realized full awakening, arahantship. And the Buddha asked those five ascetics who are stream enters already, material form, rupa, is it permanent or impermanent? Similarly with feeling tone, perceptions, mental formations, and sense consciousness, are they permanent or impermanent? Do they last or do they not last? And the five ascetics answered that they're impermanent they don't last, they're not stable, not lasting. Then the Lord Buddha continued to ask, saying, well, this, these form, uh, feeling, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness, are they suffering or happiness? Are they sukha or dukkha? Sukha meaning pleasure, happiness, dukkha, meaning they're not able to last, they can't sustain themselves. And sukha means that they can last all, forever, last all the time. And so we see that this body fit, or if the body didn't ever get sick or didn't change, then that would be qualified as sukha. But dukkha means that it can't last, it must change according to causes and conditions. So we have this material form, this body, and it does change according to causes and conditions. It's dukkha. Just like I asked you earlier, are you tired? And you said yes. You awake early in the morning and you feel fresh because you've had some rest and eaten some food as well. This gives your body energy and strength. But then you use your body throughout the day to do different things, and then it gets tired, becomes tired later on. And then if you are sick or have an illness, then the dukkha, the unpleasant feelings are even more. And sometimes our mindfulness isn't uh, sufficient to deal with it. That's one example. So we see that the body is dukkha. So the five ascetics contemplated this their minds were peaceful and gathered in samadhi. They had wisdom as well. And they saw the body is dukkha. It can't last, can't sustain itself. And so the Buddha then asked, well, these phenomena, they're not lasting, they're impermanent, both material form and mental phenomena. And being impermanent, then you accept that. 
and being impermanent, then their dukkha is well stressful, unsustainable. And so they're impermanent, not lasting, stressful, or not able to be sustained. They have change as their nature. Their nature is to change. So given this, should you cling to them as self, as me and mine? Well, we can ask, well, how can it be self? Because it changes. Do we want it to change? Or we don't want it to change? So the five ascetics contemplated this, and they saw that it really is impermanent in truth. They've already seen the uh, materiality arising. They saw that already and realized stream entry. They saw the change in material form, saw that since being a child, the body keeps changing since birth to the present. It keeps changing in the present. Then it keeps changing ongoingly until the point of degradation and disintegration. So they saw it's impermanent, it doesn't last. And it changes with every in and out breath. Every day it's changing. The body's changing every day. And this is dukkha, stressful for the mind and body. Just that much. And the mind doesn't want that. The mind doesn't want old age, doesn't want sickness, doesn't want death. So we see this material form, it's not able to last. And mental phenomena are the same way like pleasant or unpleasant Vedana. Like pleasant feelings, we like them a lot. But all the pleasant feelings we've had, where are they now? We see that it's an immaterial Dhamma, a Nama Dhamma. It arises and ceases. Just like the material Dhammas arise and cease. But we don't see it clearly as it happens. We have to see it degrade and pass away to be able to see it. But actually, as it arises, it's already passing away at the same time. So if, for instance, we can take the example of a building, we start to construct something, and we can think in 60 years it'll fall apart, it'll degrade. But actually, as it's being built, it's already falling apart. Arising and ceasing actually come together. But we only often see it in the end when it falls apart. But we see actually the building, it's not strong all the time. It actually is constantly falling apart a little bit at a time. And if we have jnana, if we have insight, if we have wisdom, we actually see it degrading all the time. We see its quality of degradation, of falling apart all the time. We see the Dhamma like this. We see, we see it clearly in front of us. It's degrading, it's falling apart every hour, every minute according to time. And if we think of this, we can accept it. But to see it with insight and wisdom, we see it actually degrade in the present. So this is one example. 
So to see like this is to see the Dhamma, it's to see change, to see impermanence or evanescence. So this Vedana and feeling all the Nama Dhammas, the perceptions, mental formations, sense consciousness, they're all the same. Again, we can look at pleasant feeling, or Sukha Vedana. So people, or many people come on vacation to Thailand and they feel happy. They feel this quality of pleasant feeling. But then they go home and that pleasant feeling goes away. Then they need to travel again to seek it out, seeking out that pleasant feeling. So that's suffering as well because it doesn't last. It arises, stays for a while and ceases. So we take our minds to contemplate this point and we ask, well, who is the owner of this pleasant and unpleasantness? These perceptions and memories, are they self? We see they arise and cease. We can use similes to understand this more clearly. Like perceptions and mental formations, they lack essence, they lack heartwood. Sense consciousness is compared to an illusion or a magician's trick. The eye contacts uh, form or sees form and there's a feeling of seeing. The ear with the sounds, there's a feeling of hearing. This is arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing all the time like that. And when it arises, the mind clings to it every time clings to it as permanent, as sustainable, as self. And the sankharas, these mental formations, are, com are said to have no essence, no heartwood, just like a banana tree has no heartwood. And these sanya memories or perceptions, we really think that they're true, we think that they're reality but we see that it's just like a mirage. We see a mirage and we think that there's actually water there. But when we come closer, we see that actually there's nothing there. Just like if we're at the beach, at the ocean, and the sun is strong, we may take a look and think that there's a pool of water at a certain location in the distance. But as we get closer, we see it's, it's not there at all. So we see that this feeling, tone, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness, they're impermanent, they don't last, they're not sustainable in this way. And so the five ascetics answered that one shouldn't cling to them as self. So one shouldn't cling to them as self and the Buddha taught that everything arises, stays for a while and ceases. It's all not lasting, it's all dukkha, it's all not self. One shouldn't cling to it or take it as self. And with this, the minds of the five ascetics gathered together, the qualities of virtue, collectedness and wisdom gathered together. The Sakadagami or once returner path, path and fruit came together, Anagami, non-returner path and fruit came together, Arahant, uh, full awakening path and fruit came together, 
that all gathered together and they realized arahantship, they attained to full awakening. So we see these five aggregates. We all have this mind, this knowing element we have. So we contemplate it, we take a look at it. We practice and train the mind to contemplate material form and mentality, to see it as impermanent, as dukkha can't last, and as not self, in order to bring the mind to be able to let go. And we see that we're able to let go, whether a lot or a little, so we keep having effort, we keep training in the doing of goodness, the doing of merit, building merit and parami, our spiritual virtues and goodness to be, to grow them, to be more higher. And when they become more like that, then virtue, collectedness and wisdom, sila samadhi panya gather together and they bring our minds to see the Dhamma, to see Nibbana, to reach Nibbana, to reach true happiness. So we practice and train, and we may feel tired and weary. We may feel that it's difficult. So this means that we have suffering, we have dukkha in our Dhamma practice. So this is the, the painful path of practice. And this painful path of practice can either go fast or go slowly. But we feel that it's difficult. We feel that it takes effort and it's hard to do. We awake early, we sit and listen to the Dhamma, sit meditation. But the result of all this effort, the result of this effort even when difficult is happiness. So we do these causes often because these are the very causes for happiness to arise in the heart and mind for us. They're the causes for wisdom to arise, for merit and parami to arise, for patience, patient endurance to arise. And so when the mind has right view, then one uses this body to do goodness, to do merit, then this brings one to be able to know, just like the awakened disciples have known. So the merit and parami we've done in the past, or we take a look at the example of the awakened disciples in the time of the Buddha, and they had done merit and parami in the past, and they came to listen to the Buddha, and they were able to realize arahantship upon listening to the Buddha. And we listen to the Dhamma of the Buddha as well. Because what I'm teaching, it's the Dhamma of the Buddha. It's the Dhamma that the great masters have awakened to already, and that they have then shared and spread that Dhamma with others. So for ourselves, our duty is to practice, to cultivate the mind, to practice those teachings. And yes, it can be difficult, it can be hard, but it's not as hard as it was for the Buddha. It's not as difficult as it was for the Buddha to realize awakening and to teach us. Venerable Ajahn Chah compared it to an orchard. The Buddha is the one who created the orchard and planted the trees, cultivated the orchard. And for ourselves, our duty is to walk into the orchard, to enter it, 
to pick a fruit, to peel it and eat it. Sometimes we feel that that's difficult because we have to walk, we have to seek out the orchard, we have to go to it, we have to get the fruit, we have to peel it, we have to chew it and swallow it. And only in that way can we feel full and we feel that that's difficult. But the one who actually created the orchard and planted all the trees, we consider that that takes a very long time to make the orchard. So when we consider this, therefore we're able to patiently endure. It's difficult, but we're able to patiently endure in order to bring the mind to the complete ending of all stress and suffering. So seven days of this retreat have passed already. The time passes quickly since the 28th of October. Now it's the 3rd of November. It goes by quickly like that. Now there's just two days left. So there are two days until the completion of the retreat program on this occasion. So may you all set your hearts on the practice in the time you have left. May you have restraint. May you speak little, sleep little, awaken with effort. May you practice to store up this knowing and understanding in your mind in Dhamma practice in order to bring the mind to know and understand the Dhamma. So may you all see the Dhamma and may you all grow in blessings.